0: As always, uh, it's a great pleasure that I'm here uh, to see you and be with you and to j- share a little of what God's speaking to me in my life. You know. So, uh, Father Ronnie, would you pray for the word? For the Father, we do thank you for your praise and love. Yes, Lord. The Holy Spirit, Yes. yes. Amen. The uh as always I was agonizing about and, and this is just who I am I've come to this place that uh, I may have some ideas, you know, but before I uh, commit to a word, I try to get before God and go, you know, Lord, what do you want to say? Not so much about what I want to say, but more about what, what you would have to say. And so it's a real... Oh, i want to get the song sheet for a second. So It's, it's a... Uh, wow. I think it goes when you bend over like that. So it's a real process for me of trying to find out what does God really want to speak? You know, I, I kind of know what God is speaking to me. And uh, I, don't presu- you know, I don't try to presume that that means that that's what He's speaking to everybody else. But I kind of think that it somewhat is that way. Because uh, God's consistent with, pretty much consistent. And <clears throat> so this is actually going to be a word from two... Homilies that I gave in uh, on our new Eucharist, which are short. Don't get, don't get panicked yet. They're short homilies that we do, <laughs> and so I'm going to combine the two of them and even try to, you know, combine them and shorten them down in a way. But uh, early last week, I began to, uh, as, as I just read, and God began to lead me and think. He, what He led me to was uh, Matthew five in the in the first Beatitude. You know, everybody's course, for me, this. because this is just a particular place I'm at where I'm crying out uh, for more of God, to understand God more, to see God more. Matter of fact, one of the homilies I've done, uh, and I'm not, even, I'm not even sure what I did when I was here last time, but I've done a homily on seeing God and, the ne- and how necessary it is that we see God and how most of us don't see God in the situations or in, that He's there. Uh, but anyway, he led me to this to because it's something that I'm, I'm needing to realize and to understand more and more uh, is that uh, the poorness of spirit that we have. And most of us don't really think about that. We don't think about really how poor in spirit we are until we kind of get into God's pre- pre- presence with him in some way. And of course, if you know, if you really come into God's presence, um, and this is one of those things that's just an observation that I'm trying to sort out, but in our current world and stuff, there's a a worship and things. There's so much of the worship music now, it's just all rah-rah, you know, like, and stuff. But yet, in Scripture, if you look, and it's all about the presence of God, they talk about the presence of God, the presence of God, and and how the presence of God is here. Well, basically, in Scripture, when the presence of God is manifested, everybody hits the floor on their face. You know, and cries, Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips, as Isaiah did, and so forth. And so that's that recognition of being poor in spirit. Uh when we were saved, what, what, how did that work? You know, we heard a word and we realized how desperately needy we were because of the brokenness of our sin. And we also realized what a most merciful God that we had, that He sent His Son and that He cleansed us. And that He washed us with His blood and made us righteous and holy enough to be in His presence without being consumed by a Holy Father. And we rejoiced in that, you know? I think if, uh, if you go back and remember that moment in time, most people would say, if you asked them, so, so what did you feel like? And most people would say, I just felt like a burden had been lifted. I felt like, I just felt good. I, you know, I, I, I was happy. There was a happiness or a joy that was unspeakable and full of glory that welled up inside of me that, that, that created this optimism and this hope and this enthusiasm and this excitement for the things of God. And That's what being poor in spirit does. It's, it's a coin of two sides. One is that realization. In Matthew, it says, and I'm going to retranslate this somewhat. Uh, And it's not just me, it's like if you go and you look at the words and all this other stuff and commentaries and stuff, this is kind of what they're saying. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the translation from the New American Standard. Another way that this can be translated is uh, how fortunate and prosperous are the poor are those that are not spiritually arrogant in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that word poor in the, the languages in the Greek and in the Hebrew words that are being used carries a very strong message to just that word. Because it is absolute, abject poverty. Then how many people know really what that word abject means? Well, see, so being a spiritual giant, I do, what, I do what all spiritual giants do and I googled it. <laughs> you know, to find out. But I mean, I, you know, the word I knew, and I knew that it was kind of had this kind of leaning stuff, but I didn't really know. Some. And that's what I do. I'll Google it, and Google tells me stuff. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But really, that word being used could be translated as the maximum degree of poverty. And see, when we come to Christ in that way, of maximum degree of poverty, of maximum awareness of the otherness of God to us and we are before him and we cry out to him as a loving father father forgive me he that is the, the greatest thing that God wants to do and to manifest is his forgiveness to his children you know I mean he died for that died to love us, and for us to be able to grasp a little bit of His love. Because what, no matter how much we grasp, it's little. You know, No matter if we're consumed, the most consumed person by the love of God is still, is still little, because it is so limitless and so beyond us. And so, as I looked at this, uh, uh, God spoke a word to me that said, uh, we can, the way the Christian life kind of works, because I'm in this place right now where God's just dealing with me about so many issues, uh, that we can realize how poor we are by just being honest and transparent with ourselves. And y'all do know that the, the person to be honest with and transparent with, the hardest person, is yourself. Is yourself. It's really hard to be totally honest and transparent with yourself because we'd like to make that excuse well I, you know like yes i'm a sinner and yeah you know like i blew it today and all stuff. but overall i'm pretty good you know at least i didn't kill nobody you know kind of a thing uh but we can either come to that on our own by just getting in, in, in and to get there honestly with ourselves is to get into god's presence his presence and His glory and who He is and His love will shine the light on all the darkness in our life where we can become, we really see it just not like we did, we saw our sin when we were saved when we met Christ, you know I don't know about you and I don't know about everybody else's experience but when I really got that it wasn't because somebody was telling me that so much you know, it was that I kind of, there was this realization and so I went forward and said Lord I don't understand all this but I know that I'm a sinner and then all of a sudden I knew. And I knew as I, when I knew that I really didn't even know the depth of my depravity. But over the decades now of walking with him and coming into his presence I'm more aware of the details of my sin and stuff. So it's him and him alone that brings light to it. You know? We, we should never convict ourselves. We should allow the Holy Spirit to do that. It's his job to bring conviction to shed light. And that brings us to that we realize just how poor we are, no matter how far we go, how poor we are. If you read a lot of the the, the, the saints and stuff, they'll talk about you know, that the older they got, the closer they got to God, the more they realized how sinful they were. Because as you experience God, you realize more and more how He is just so far other than we are. And we come to understand that otherness and we just realize, wow, you know, wow. You know. So it's a good thing to be poor in spirit because it says you'll see the kingdom of God. Now, when we recognize our poverty, then we can recognize the the glorious work of God that's around us. See, too many times the things of this world are the richest that we have, and whichever one in in this room is incredible, wealthy, materially, in comparison to to a large segment of the world. Just go to any third world country and you come back going, Oh my gosh, you know, because of the material poverty that they exist in, and we just don't, you know, none of us are are existing like that. None of us, I mean, I know people who who eat one meal a day, that's it. I know people who eat only about two or three meals a week because of the poverty that they they live in in Africa. Mm -hmm. And we have brothers and sisters that will die this, this today or this week because they haven't eaten. You know, or what they've eaten has been so non-nutritious. And so we're so, but our wealth has a way of insulating us from realizing our true poverty, the spirit. And so that's a place where God's really dealing with me. And the way he spoke to them is that, that I can realize how truly poor I am or he will show me how truly poor i am and that's my life most of the time it's like it's like this the the yo-yo thing is that i i do pretty good and then i get like spiritually wealthy or spiritually stupid it's kind of the same thing in my case and then god begins things begin to happen you know uh just stuff this starts happening Then it brings me to my knees and and usually I come to my knees, get to my knees because I'm agonizing over stuff happening, you know, and then when I get there and God's presence shows up, I realize it's not about the stuff. It's about me not really understanding and believing in His goodness. The, uh, if, uh, y'all may not have been here, but some time back I did a homily on believing. I'm convinced that the whole Christian life, basically, that that's what it's about, is God te- trying to teach us to believe, and showing us our unbelief and how it affects our daily, every moment life. And, um, and so if you're a simple person like me, you can kind of cut to the chase most of the time and realize, well, what's happening here, the issue here, whatever it is, the sin or whatever, it, the, the reason is I'm not believing God about something. And which is really, it's just I'm just not believing that God is God, as simple as that is, that He's God, that He's control, that there's nothing that He doesn't control. It says that He holds the entire universe together in the palm of His hand. You know, have you ever thought about the fact that if God let go, that every atom would split? That every molecule, every fiber of whatever it would cease to exist because it would split apart. There'd be no substance left. He holds it at that level together. And that to let all the way through, it's, it's all in His hands. And man, if we could get that, if I could get that so deep that my belief is so deep, then I would not be bothered by much. Because whatever came, I'd go, it's the, God's got it. Yeah, i just believe in God. Now, this is to the second homily. Tr- kind of trans- transition. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture real quick. Uh, and this is this a is place where I was agonizing. And several times yesterday and last night, God kept confirming to me to talk about this. Uh... Just throughout today, the and then this morning, this, the the this song uh, "I Am Redeemed" uh, recon- reconfirmed that. Because uh, what I'm going to talk about now and share with you is, in our tradition, we call it confession. It's just repentance, and how wonderful it is. And what started me on that journey is that I'm teaching our kids at chapel. One day a week I'm going through the Eucharist very slowly with them. And so the other day I was going through the Eucharist with them and I was in the very first part of it in the part of the confession of sin and and talking to them and showing them how the Eucharist is. It it, it has a beginning, a middle section and an end section, but there's a flow, there's things that have to happen before this can happen. And I was just talking about that and I was talking to them about confession and... just realized, I mean like wow every time you do confession it should be like that night you received Jesus Christ into your heart your heart should explode you know like if you want to sing hallelujahs that should happen right there and I, and I know sooner or later, I'm, a, I'm an extremely introverted person, like to be low-key, not be noticed and stuff. But sooner or later, I'm just going to like lose it at the confession and just start shouting, Hallelujah, and just being crazy about the love of God. And um, so, it, excuse me, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Then Isaiah 43. I missed that one there. Uh, I supposedly have these things marked. 43:25. Uh, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. If nothing else in the world could get you excited, that ought to get you excited. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but I have done some really, really horrible things. You know, when I was a young person, I did some really, really horrible, horrible things. And I'm so glad that God's not going to ever remember those, that they're forgotten by Him. It says that He catches them as far as the east from the west, and um uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I've heard this by many different, I guess, evangelists or whatever. And, and But I've actually ha- heard the Holy Spirit speak this to me before because I'm, I, I like to beat myself up in order to create my own feeling of well-being and righteousness. I mean, if, once I've, I've cried and agonized and stuff and I can feel better, uh, but that doesn't, that's not really the way it works. And so one time I was going through the, that kind of a deal with the Lord and finally, when I got a little bit quiet enough, I just heard him say like I don't even know what you're talking about. Because you ask forgiveness. And when you ask forgiveness, I forgot. Now you know, God is so amazing. See, this is how other God is than you and me. All right? If you if you do something to me and you ask my forgiveness and I forgive you, you know, and then two weeks later or Sometimes, like in my case, 30 seconds later, do it again and ask forgiveness again. Well, I remember the first time. And and it starts adding up. And by the time you've asked me forgiveness for the 50th time, I'm pretty much done with you. You know, I've given up hope. And that's not God. But we try to make God in our own image. And so we become afraid To go and get before Him and get honest and transparent. Because we know that this isn't the first time I've done this. I've done this repeatedly. In my case, I'm 69 years old, so there's about 60 years of this. That I've done some things that haven't changed a whole lot. A little, but not as much as they should. Uh, But see, that's not God. When you ask God's forgiveness, He totally forgives you. Clean that Excuse me. He forgets totally, completely. He has no remembrance until you bring it back up. If you if you commit the sin again and bring it back up. But if you don't commit that sin and you're just beating yourself to death because you're such a horrible, terrible, worthless human being, you're a worm of the earth and all of this stuff, He doesn't even know what you're talking about. Because if you ask forgiveness, he forgot. And if you haven't recommitted that that sin again, he has no remembrance of it. What he his remembrance is that you're his beloved. You're the person that he died for. He's the person that he gave everything that he had to redeem. And he sees you as perfect, you know. And if you think in terms of like when you was really, uh, all of us when we was really young, and we fell in love for the very first time, we didn't see the imperfections of the other person, you know. And most of the time in marriages, when they hit that first patch of rockiness, it's just because they all of a sudden they see the imperfection of the other person, you know, like they don't roll the toothpaste tube up. How can they be so crash? And and how can they be so horrible? You know that they put the toilet paper on the roll the wrong way. You know the imperfections. See, God doesn't see those. What He sees is all the potential of the one that He loves. God is always in that first love way of looking at things. Not you know he, He never gets tired of us. Isaiah 44, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. See, that's what the thing that we have to remember is that he doesn't do it for our sake. It's, it's a byproduct of what he does for his sake. To fulfill the desire of his heart is to have a beloved, it's what he does. I, even I, I'm the one who wiped out your transgressions for my sake, because I love you. It is for my sake. And I will remember your sins no more. In Luke 24, 46 and 47, he says, and he said to them, Thus it is written, this is Jesus speaking. This should be the red letter part. This it, is, this it is written, that the Christ will suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for, for, for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. You are a witness of these things. See, He died for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle opening into this letter to the Ephesians, which, you know, Ephesians is one of those, it's considered like one of the great uh, books that Paul wrote, that he spoke so many things, and so many deeply, you know, like, Corinthians, he kind of dealt a lot with, like, the day-to-day, and Ephesians, Paul really gets off into the heavens speaking, because he's talking about, you're seated in heavenly places, you know, and uh, you stand in heavenly places, and Wall and uh, but so this is the opening that Paul has for them in the seventh verse. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That word lavished is also can be translated as abundant. See, he did this, it's what he did. And that's what we have to realize. For some reason, I have this tendency to think it has something to do with me in some weird way that I don't even know. I mean, I know I can tell you between my ears all of this stuff, but in in reality, for some reason, there's something, you know, like that I need to do, you know? Have you ever done something that is like within yourself? And it could be, you know, it, this could be something that if you told me I'd go like really? No. But it's made you deeply ashamed of, of who you are of yourself and all and you've done this and you know you've done this and you have this shame and you have this guilt and you, but you don't repent. You don't take it to God and put it in His hands. You don't place it under His blood. You wait till like the next day it's like so like between 2 o'clock today and 8 o'clock tonight I'm going to do something that will make me feel okay about being transparent about this before the Lord and asking His forgiveness it's like I got to get good enough to ask forgiveness or something that's about as dumb as it gets okay I'm just being honest with you that's as dumb as it gets because God's wanting to forgive you God wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven. You, know, you want to be forgiven, but you know, I don't see any nail occurrence in anybody's hands. He wants to forgive you so much that he's got all the marks. He suffered all the consequences to provide for you this forgiveness. Paul in Colossians, in the first chapter again. 13 and 14 says for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins that should that should just i don't know it should make us crazy oh, because he's done this we have we don't we don't have to do anything except ask so why do we find it so difficult to do that? Me and Father Ronnie was talking about this you know, repenting, confession of sin. It says in the Scripture, and I'm going to go. With it, I'm just going to believe that everybody believes this book, that everybody believes cover to cover. You know, when it says Genesis one and one, and you believe all the way through the end of Revelation. You don't believe necessarily in the commentating and or whatever, but you believe those words and the word says, like, confess your sins to, what does it say? Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. There's something about confession and you can do it in a traditional way as in uh, the Roman church and the Orthodox church or in our tradition where you go to a priest And you confess your sins and He gives you the words of absolution, which are the words of Christ speaking that Christ wants you to hear, that you're forgiven, that you've been absolved from all of your sins, that they're not remembered anymore, that they're now as far as the east is from the west, that they're covered now by the blood of Jesus Christ. That you can hear that being spoken and be reminded of that. And there's a huge value in that. I don't understand it completely. I just know that there's a huge, huge value. Because my life before becoming a priest and, and a deacon was one of repentance. And it still is in the same way that I keep a short account. I try to keep an extremely short account. So when I realize, you know, on, my go- on a really good day, if I realize that I've done something to you, I will immediately go, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know... Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Didn't mean to say that, or didn't mean to make that impression on you to hurt you in some kind of a way, or whatever the sin is. I believe in keeping really, really short accounts, as short as it is possible to keep them. But there's also a value of confessing your sins in a more formal confessional way, because we don't live a separate life. We live a life that is spiritually that we're all connected one to another. And I don't understand that. I can tell you, I believe it's an absolute fact that even though, like with you guys, I don't know you very well. I've only seen you a couple of times. We're connected in Christ. And it is real. I don't understand that. I can't define it to you and I can't tell you where that connection happens. But there's a connection, so anything that happens to you affects me, and that's through the whole body of Christ. That's why we pray for our brothers and sisters, ones that we don't, we've never met, because there's this connectedness. It says we're a body; we're not a bunch of little pinkies running around here, you know, all on our own. And so, because, and when we do, one of the byproducts of confession is that you come into closer and closer relationship with one another when you are able to find first the uh, okay you know, like I'm a, okay, I'm a priest uh, and theoretically you're supposed to trust me you know enough to be to come to me and tell me your sins and all that kind of stuff but first you have to believe in Jesus you have to believe Jesus. Because if you don't if there's an if there's unbelief in this that is tied directly to him, then it's going to be very difficult for you to actually believe in believe me in any way or trust me in any way. But as we as we fellowship with one another, and most of the time in, in real real fellowship, real community fellowship, it's a process of confession. You know, like we sat around last night and we talked about stuff that we both struggle with or don't struggle with or we wonder, we have doubts about and all that. And that's a kind of a confession of its own that's going on that has created an extreme bond of brotherhood and friendship with me and Father Ronnie. And that's what it does. Now, I'm not telling you that like, you know, like if you murdered somebody last night that you need to come tell Sandra that you murdered somebody last night. Communities built slowly, a little bit at a time, of trusting one another with the little things and then building to the big things until we we can reach a place. But the biggest thing about it is, uh, and I'm not there yet, I'm working towards that, uh, that we should like run full speed, wide open, knocking people down to confess our sins. Because in that is where we have true redemption. And then it's in that place where we, we are confessing our sin and our poverty of spirit, our poorness of spirit, that God meets us. You know? I don't know that I've ever met God when I was like, thought I was good. You know? I might have. But you know, the mountaintop experience when I've like done good. You know? I don't know that I've ever like done a homily or even prayed for people and like say, going after we pray for thousands of people and we see hundreds and thousands of people healed and stuff. I don't know that I've ever felt the same presence of God, the same glory of God, the same awesomeness of God, the same God that is beyond me in any way other than when I've experienced Him when I've realized my poverty. And been open to him to show me his sufficiency. See, it's in his sufficiency we have everything. It's in our poverty that we have nothing. And you know, Mother Teresa was one of the ones that when, uh, if you remember she made the statement when she came to American stuff as to how poor and impoverished we were. You know, She understood poverty of spirit. And that's why sometimes I've gone in mud huts and been with Africans that have nothing. That are just, you know, don't have a whole lot of hope for anything and all. But yet they were rich. They were rich in their relationship with Christ. So let us welcome confession. Let us welcome being before the Lord. Let's walk. It says we can come into His presence with boldness of faith. Come in and be open and honest and transparent with Him so that His presence can truly come down and reign. His glory can be manifested and that we can know the fullness of Christ actually living His life now inside of us. Amen. In the name of the Father.